0: Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of his creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This morning's text is going to be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'm gonna be, by the nature of the teaching, bringing in a number of other texts, but we'll use this one to kind of anchor us Matthew 1, 18 to 25, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, for those of you who are visitors here or are not used to things, normally I know preachers stand up and tell all kinds of funny stories and stuff, and then it's a few minutes before they read the Bible. Uh, I don't do that because my words don't save anybody. So we're going to begin by reading the scripture, and then I'll kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18, follow on the screen, hear the word he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus Now you're probably wondering why I'm reading this text that we normally read at Christmas time it's because it was so cool the last couple of weeks here that it just put me in a Christmas mood um <laughs> Actually not, this was a teaching I was originally going to be giving the week I came back from Egypt. If you remember back in January when I'd gone to Egypt to visit the uh, 21 families of the martyrs there that ISIS had killed on the beach in Libya. I was going to be teaching this when I came back. And it's actually in response to, we've asked people off and on to submit some topics. Do you have a topic or a verse or a passage that when I'm not teaching in a series as I normally do, you would like addressed? And this was actually the first question that came to me. And there have been a number of these. I wanna encourage you to continue doing that. A topic or a text you'd like to see addressed, we'll put them in the queue and work on them at some point. Some of them were practical. Some of them are more theological. Some of them are pretty broad, and I'm still wrestling through how to do it in one teaching. Some of them are pretty narrow and focused. But this was the very first question I got. And that question was, what about the Virgin Mary? I had had, this person said, I had a conversation with a friend who told me that Mary was, yes, a virgin when Jesus was born. Their problem wasn't about God doing a miraculous thing. Their statement was, Mary remained a virgin forever. And I'll even add to the question later, Uh, what the person's own words were what lies behind that and why that was important to them now this may seem to be a topic that's not particularly relevant to most of us but I hope to show you that it actually is because of the assumptions that lie behind that belief and why that belief developed in the history of the church and what they have to do with our culture there is nothing new under the Sun folks The culture you live in is almost a direct mirror of the culture that the early church lived in. And as a result, they responded to certain questions certain ways, and we want to talk about that today. So we want to talk about what lies behind the idea, why is it important, what does the Scripture say. So let's start with the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. Matthew clearly teaches, and this is important, in our culture, most people would not think of Mary as being a virgin forever. They would scoff at the idea that she was a virgin in the first place when Jesus was born, because obviously that's not something that happens every week, right? In fact, how often has it happened? Once in all of human history. It's what we like to technically use the word miracle. Okay, a real technical theological word there, which means it's not a normal thing. It's something outside the norm, and it's what God's doing, and the scripture clearly teaches the virgin birth. So if we notice in our text, we read that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Matthew does this several ways. First, he says they're betrothed is the technical word. It's Matthew 1.18, it says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together. this the the NIV's translated pledged uh, to be married, the the normal word is betrothed, which is a very defined time in the ancient Near East. And that was a time where you had agreed, you'd come together, you actually already had a marriage contract, and it was so uh, important to break it, you actually had to get a writing of divorce to actually break that contract. However, it was also a well-defined time when no sexual contact was allowed at all. The couple were betrothed to one another. The man was to be building a house and preparing what was going to happen. They were going through a period of preparation, but no sex was allowed during that time. And in fact, if you had sex during that time, you had committed sin for which you could even be stoned because you were not allowed to do this. Now, that sounds strange because there's a lot of things that we're not allowed or supposed to do today, and most people don't pay attention to those things. But that was simply not the case at this time. Most couples in fact followed this stricture and during the time of betrothal, they were, they were celibate with one another. And notice if that's not enough, Matthew even adds before they came together. Now that includes them coming together to live but it also is a sexual reference. He's saying before they had come together and had any sexual relationship because that's going to create the whole tension in the text that all of a sudden Mary will be pregnant. So Matthew's saying they're betrothed, they're not married, they had not had sex. But he goes on further. Notice in verse 18, he says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to not his father Joseph, but to Joseph. Nowhere in the text is Joseph called Jesus' father. In fact, if you go back to the genealogy, it goes all the way down, and it comes down to Joseph, and Joseph does not say, and Joseph was the father of Jesus. It just says Joseph was married to Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, and Joseph was thought to be the father. So the text is really clear that Jesus draws his human lineage and nature actually from Mary, not from Joseph. Furthermore, not once, but twice, Matthew tells us that the conception is not a normal conception. It does not happen by normal sexual relations. It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verses 18 and 20, it says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, in verse 20, Uh, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her home, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You can't get much clearer than this. A lot of theologians want to try and deny this, and this is not new. Okay, Protestant liberalism a hundred years ago was going through all of this and denying it, and J. Gresham Machen, uh, a great theologian who actually founded Westminster Theological Seminary, wrote a massive volume on the virgin birth and went through and said look it's just clear this is what the scripture teaches and if you don't believe this you're not a different kind of christian have the guts and honesty to admit you have you started your own religion you just decided to go off and do whatever else you wanted just to have the guts to call it that quit calling yourself a christian if you don't believe in things like the virgin birth because the scripture is really clear and notice matthew goes further and says that this isn't something that we shouldn't have known was going to happen. It's actually the fulfillment of prophecy. They had been told over 700 years before that the virgin was going to conceive, and this is how God was going to bring forth the Messiah. And Matthew 1, 22 and 23 tells us all of this that I just told you took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And he's quoting Isaiah 7:14: The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he's saying it's a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. I've taught on this before, so I won't take much time. There are people who want to say, well, the Hebrew word Alma did not necessarily mean virgin, which is true. It could mean virgin. It could mean young woman. But the Greek word that was used to translate it always meant virgin. That's what it meant. And Matthew here is very clear, saying this is what that text meant. It referred to the virgin birth. It is a miracle, and notice one might understand that it's going to be a miracle because the child is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. This is not a normal human child. I, I've got six grandbabies and the seventh on the way, and I love them, and I think they're all special, but they're not God with us special, okay? This is distinct. This is different, and the text is going through all of these ways to tell us that. And then finally, as if all of that wasn't clear enough, Matthew concludes with the statement, but he had no union with her until she gave birth. So he took her. They went ahead and got married, and one would expect they would have sex then, and what would have been the difference? She had already conceived. But Matthew says, but he didn't do that. There was no sexual relationship between Joseph and Mary until after Uh, Jesus was born. So it's not only a virginal conception, it is actually a virginal birth. Mary was still a virgin when Jesus was born. And we're going to come back to this phrase in a couple of minutes, but I want you to see in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, virtually every phrase in that passage says virgin birth, virgin birth, virgin birth, virgin birth. If you didn't get it, virgin birth. It's really clear. Now, in our culture, people struggle with that. But It's real simple. Either there's a God who, when there was nothing, spoke and made everything, who did stuff like raising Jesus from the dead, or there's not. And if there is, this isn't a problem. And if there's not, you all are doing a colossal waste of time coming out here every week. It's that simple. Either it's true or it's not. Either the Scripture is recording what God has actually said and done or it's not. And the Scripture is very, very clear on this. And it's not just Matthew. Luke, I'll show you real briefly, says the same things. He speaks of the virgin birth as well. Uh, He's very clear that Mary was a virgin, Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He tells us, I actually began our meeting with that today in verses Luke 1 32 to 35. But he also tells us something else about Mary that's important for us to grasp before I turn to the question of, did Mary continue to be a virgin? And that is, Mary's presented as highly favored and blessed in Luke's gospel. The angel comes to her, and in verse 28 says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And in verse 30, he says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And this is really important for us to get. You know, I I use a little bit of a joke and a pop culture reference in calling this there's something about the Virgin Mary here. But I want you to see there is something about Mary. Protestants have sometimes reacted to this question by acting as if Mary was just some broad God found somewhere and did this. That is not what the scripture teaches. Mary is blessed. She is highly favored. She is a godly young woman. And what I'm going to deal with in this teaching is here's what we tend to do as human beings. We see a problem over here. And rather than standing with the truth, which is here, what do we want to do? Go all the way to the other side and create an error just as bad as the first one that we had. And so many people have given short shrift to Mary because of these questions, but we need to be clear, God's angel says you are highly favored. God's angel says the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. And so this is very clear. And in fact, Mary, speaking by the Holy Spirit in her song in Luke chapter 1, says this, Luke 1, from now on, all generations will call me, what? Blessed. You want to fulfill the scripture, if you want to fulfill what God has said, what should we call Mary? Blessed. She is the blessed virgin. If I ask our ladies in here, how many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit conceive a child in you so you can give birth to the Messiah? Okay, that's what I thought I was going to get. None. And if I take all the women who have ever lived, how many have ever had this happen? One, that's rather special, okay? That's blessed. There is no salvation for us apart from what God is doing at this moment through this young, if you remember when I taught on this at Christmas a couple years ago, 14-year-old girl probably, young teenage girl. And the amazing thing in the midst of this, now picture this, when the angel comes, is this really good news for Mary in the short term? You're going to get pregnant before you're married. What is the likely outcome of that in Israel at this time? It's, it's at worst stoning, at best, complete ostracization, completely being cast off by the culture. Let me, let me tell you, we, we all act like we would like angels to show up and give us messages. Usually when they show up in the Bible, the next period for the person is anything but wonderful. It's trouble, it's difficulty, and I suspect if the same angel kept showing up, the people might start running and trying to get away and say, "But here I am, find somebody else. I don't want this. That's what Mary is facing, but I want you to hear her response when the angel says all of these things. In verse 38, her simple response to you will be socially ostracized, and in fact, we know from the scripture, rumors dogged her her entire life that she had She had had an illegitimate conception. She had been a promiscuous, wicked woman when nothing was further from the truth. But very often, if you walk with God and you do what God wants, rumors will fly. It will happen. It's the cost. But notice in the face of all of that, this young 14-year-old girl says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Friend, I wish every Christian would have this response to God's word and God's call. If the church would respond this way in the midst of a broken world, things would be so different. That is a costly, costly sentence in the life of a young girl. But she didn't flinch. She stated the sentence, and she actually followed through on it. That's the heart you and I are called to have We can learn from Mary, and we can emulate her obedience, and that includes her celibacy before marriage, by the way, that she was pure and holy before her marriage. Now, that leads to the next question. So the Scripture clearly teaches the virgin conception and virgin birth, and that Mary was, in fact, a virgin all the way to the moment of Jesus' birth. What about after? Is Mary An eternal virgin because some Christians have said she's more than just a virgin who conceived or a virgin who gave birth she's an eternal virgin what does the scripture say why is this even important well first way to answer this is did Mary have any other children because if she did and the scriptures not indicating that they were all born by virgin birth as well since this is kind of a one-off thing then that would pretty much answer the question. And the fact is, the Scripture teaches multiple times in ways that Mary had other children. It's all over the Bible, okay? Let me show you a few verses. First off, notice we're told that Joseph and Mary had sex after Jesus was born. That's in the text we just read. In Matthew 1.25, notice what it says. But he, Joseph, had no union, sexual union, with her until she gave birth to a son, What does the word until mean? It means up to a point in time. It does not mean after that point in time. If I tell you I am not eating until 5 p.m. and you come to my house at 6 p.m. and I'm eating, can you say, well, you said you were never eating again? No, I said I wasn't eating until 5 p.m., which means at 5 p.m. you're gonna find me munching on a burger or something. That's what you're gonna be doing. That's what the phrase means. That's how the word is used over and over and over again. The Greek word until means until. Same thing as it means in English. And what they're saying is is they didn't have sex until Jesus was born, and then they did have sex after that. But uh, beyond this, uh, it's important, and and I want to say that because this is what would be expected. What was expected of a young Jewish couple? They would be having sexual relationship. And Matthew's not going to put it and say they didn't have sex until Jesus was born if what he was trying to say is Mary never had sex, she remained a virgin forever. There are perfectly fine ways of saying that in Greek and this is not one of them. Okay, This would be be contorted language to attempt to say that. But not only is there that, the scripture indicates in multiple places Jesus had brothers. I'm just going to throw up four of them here. First in Matthew 12, 46 when Jesus is talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Okay, who's his mother? And how is she? Is she his spiritual mother? She is his physical mother. And who are these brothers? Are they just his spiritual brothers? That makes no sense in the context at all. Furthermore, notice in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, we're even told their names. Isn't this the carpenter's son, referring back to Joseph? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simeon, and Simon and Judas? So notice here, everybody in town that knows Jesus, they're getting offended at how he's this great prophet now. And what they're saying is, is, well, we know his mother's name is Mary, and... Aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jews here? Now, people want to say, well, that's referring to cousins or spiritual brothers. You have to contort the text to get that out of it. They're talking about Jesus' physical family. And notice the people in town, what did they still think? Who did they think Jesus' father was? Joseph. Because they were like, yeah, sure, virgin birth. Yeah, we, we believe that. We've seen that happen before. They just think Joseph and Mary couldn't wait, is what they believe. And they name all of the other brothers children. Furthermore, in John chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus' brothers are trying to get him to go up to a feast, and he's not wanting to go. And we're told why they were trying to get him to go up to the feast early in John 7, 5, for even his own brothers did not believe him. This is not using brothers as disciples or anything like that. This is his own physical brothers. At this point, they did not believe who Jesus was because it is a little hard if you're having sibling rivalry and the other sibling can pull the I'm God card. Makes it a little difficult, right? Uh, so they're they're tending to think, yeah, no, we don't agree with that. Okay. Furthermore, notice in Acts 14, speaking of the early church after the resurrection, the brothers have become believers. They've understood now this is all true. And Acts 1:14, we read, they, the whole community. Join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, the word brothers here cannot mean his spiritual brothers, his disciples, because that's the they all who joined together in the whole community. It clearly is picking a few people out, the women, the ones who had followed along with him, the ones who and all the disciples soiled their robes and ran away from the crucifixion, the women who were there faithfully, and specifically his mother was there, and his brothers, his mother's other children. There is, these texts are all really clear. Jesus had physical brothers. They are linked with Joseph and Mary. There's nothing that says spiritual brothers or cousins or anything like that. It is clearly pointing to their things. Furthermore, some people have tried to get out of this by saying, well, they were Joseph's children from a previous marriage. That would be a really good theory except for we have no evidence that Joseph was ever married before and in almost every one of these texts they were linked with Mary, not Joseph. There's nothing to state that at all. And so when we bring this up, the question is if all of that's there, how did the church develop this belief? How did we get to where, and it's not just Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy teach the same thing, how did we get to this belief? And it was not held in the earliest records. There's no teaching of the eternal virginity of Mary until centuries down the road. Well, what's interesting is this friend had stated the question this way when they were arguing with this person in our church. They said, God would not have chosen to come to a woman who would have become impure after his birth. There's our problem right there. This is why there's a dog in the fight. Because what they're after is not arguing against the virgin conception and birth, but they're wanting to carry it on because what is sex? It's impure. That's the idea. Sex is somehow impure. And friend, this is why this is important. It's not some esoteric question. That idea right there in that sentence is not only not Christian, it is Gnostic to its core. It is against what the Scripture teaches. It misunderstands uh, uh, humanity, God's gift of sexuality, it misunderstands the nature of who we are, what salvation is like, how God is at work in our lives. Almost everything that the scripture would teach, it undermines all of that. Because what it's saying is, is the way God made us and our physical nature and including our sexual relationship is somehow impure. But the biblical doctrine is that sex within marriage is not impure. In fact, it is holy. It is pure. And it is to be embraced and enjoyed as God's good gift us. And it's essential because I'm going to bring this up in just a minute and show you this idea developed because they were living in a sexually licentious immoral culture. And the, the culture had deviated from God's truth by going here and where did the church want to run? Not to the truth. I'm going to go to the other side. Anybody seen any problem with that in our culture today? Okay. You, you can't respond that way. We're not just going as far away from the culture as we can. We're trying to live by biblical truth. So what does the scripture tell us regarding all this? The first thing you can see, so you understand what, I, what I'm saying is not made up, there's always been a temptation to this false, ascetic, Gnostic view of life and sexuality. We want to go to one of two poles, and that's what the Gnostics did. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 1-5, to he, he writes this, the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now let me stop for a second. When the apostle, writing by the Holy Spirit, tells you, I'm going to be talking about things that are, A, abandoning the faith, B, taught by deceiving spirits, and C, taught specifically by demons. Is this good or bad? Bad, right? Pay attention wake up. This is bad stuff Paul's about to tell us. Well, here's what it is. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and tell them to abstain uh, from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And so notice in the midst of a a licentious immoral culture, and you may wonder about the food there, but the food very often you would go down to the temples, that's where you would get meat, and part of the whole sacrificial system was, hey, while you're here and you're getting some leg of lamb, why don't you just have a prostitute with that on the side? That's the way it was. And so the response to that is, that's bad. And I say, amen. So the response is, well, then what we ought to do is just abstain from all of this completely. We don't want any of that food. And we don't want to have anything to do with marriage or sexual relations because look how bad our culture is. And Paul says, that's a doctrine of a demon. That's abandoning the faith because that is not how God has made things. God has made it that these things are to be enjoyed. And you can see this is not just here, I won't throw it up, you can look in Colossians 2, 20 to 23, same ideas are taught in that passage. And these people think asceticism is the answer to get real spirituality. We live in a world that is giving itself over to physical indulgence, and the answer is to deny all of that, and I'm going to become super spiritual on the other side. And you can see it in 1 Timothy, you can see it in Colossians, you can see it in 1 Corinthians. Over and over and over again, Paul had to deal with these false ideas. And Paul specifically says, if you look in these various passages, these things are not divine, they're human in origin. And in fact, if you really trace it back, they're actually satanic. And he says, look, it looks wise, it sounds like it's going to work. If there's a problem with you know, the, these food and stuff, and it turns into then what you do is you just don't eat any of that stuff at all. And Paul says that sounds really good. Here's the only problem. It does not work. And it sounds good to say you're so spiritual that you're not going to be engaged in marriage or you're not going to have sexual relations, but it does not work. And the reason it doesn't work is it's false to the way God has made this thing called the universe, You'd have to be in a different universe for it to work, quite literally. And so Paul is dealing with that, and he's saying it's a misunderstanding of humanity, it's a misunderstanding of creation, and it's a misunderstanding of salvation. Can I tell you, this is so important to understand. Spirituality is not found in abandoning your humanity. Jesus didn't save you out of being human. He's redeeming your humanity. Your humanity is not your problem and it's not mine. Sin is our problem. And sin is not essential to what it means to be human. That is hard for us to grasp because we look and it is so interwoven into who we are. It just seems like I just want to get away from it. But Paul says that's a false idea. It is wrong. You cannot live that way. And notice he specifically says all of creation is good, and it is to be received. We are to be thankful for it, and we set it apart by the word of God. Now, what Paul is meaning by that is it's not like if I read a Bible verse over whatever I'm eating or doing, it's okay. What Paul is saying is, is God has spoken to us about other gods. He has spoken to us about idolatry. He has spoken to us about food. He has spoken to us about sexual relations, and we follow the word of God. But we don't go beyond the word of God and go to the other side. And if we are walking in accordance with the word of God, it is holy. In a morally loose, indulgent culture, the early church began to embrace embrace the asceticism, and began to view sex negatively and i want to tell you it's understandable i get it i i understand why the early church did that but that doesn't mean it's not a poor choice let me give you examples of how this developed saint jerome good guy like jerome bible translation bible scholar great guy jerome who struggled with sexual sin himself. It was a major temptation in his life. He became so negative on sex and marriage, he came to the point where he said, yeah, I praise marriage because it brings virgins into the world. The only way we can get more virgins. Can I tell you, that's not a biblical view of marriage. It's just simply not. It's not a biblical view of sexuality. In the Middle Ages, some theologians actually came to the place that they surmised that if a husband and a wife were having sexual relations, the Holy Spirit left the room. I don't know how he does such a thing since he's everywhere. Can I tell you, that's a problem. That is a humongous problem. And when you have that view, then you get well, obviously, God wouldn't have picked Mary if she was going to become impure. But the problem is there's nothing impure about a husband and a wife having sexual relationship. In fact, it is holy and it is good. Now, some of you are probably a little nervous and wondering, how did I walk into an R-rated sermon this morning? I want you to see, the scripture is not, when we do pre-marriage counseling, and my wife dies a thousand deaths every time we come to this part, and I tell a couple when they come in, the least embarrassed guy you're going to find in like four square miles talking about sex is me, Okay? Not embarrassed about it at all. And here's why I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm not embarrassed about Bible memorization. I'm not embarrassed about God's good gifts to me and every other year. Why would I be embarrassed about this? Okay? The fruit in the garden was not sex. That was God's... What was the first command to Adam and Eve before the fall? Be fruitful and multiply. Somebody work with me here. How was that supposed to happen? Okay? Before the fall. Now, I'm going to say this multiple times. You want to know one of the reasons our culture is in such a sexually confused mess? Because the people who know the truth are embarrassed to talk about it. And what we're doing is we're seeding the field to people who don't have a clue what they're talking about. When I gave my children, I'm one of the happiest moments of their life, when we sat down and went off in the car and they found out dad was giving them the talk. And I told each of them, if you have questions, you, one of my children is hiding his head in his hands back there now. <laughs> I told them, if you have questions, you come to me and you come to your mom because your friends don't know. Because they either have no experience with this, and if they do, it means they're even bigger fools because they're completely violating God's way. So by definition, they don't know, don't go to them. Come to me and I will gladly answer your questions and talk with you about it. And so we see that there is a biblical, the the scripture has a rich theology of sex and all of life. Notice here in verses four and five, Paul says all of life including sex is God's good gift to us. For how much of what God created is good? Everything. Not Bible, prayer, a few spiritual things. Everything, all of life was good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. I spent a big part of my Christian life thinking the secret to spirituality was rejecting as much of life as I could possibly reject. I was a good Gnostic, just not a very good Christian. And I was running hard trying to do it. But that is exactly the opposite of what Paul says here, because it's consecrated by the Word of God in prayer. So creation, including sex, is God's good gift to us, and spirituality is not found in denying our physical nature, but in submitting our physical and spiritual natures to God's Word and God's ways. It's not a denial of our humanity, but rather submitting our humanity, all of it, body, soul, spirit, mind, will, and emotions, all of it submitted to God and his word and his ways. Now, sex is actually therefore blessed and encouraged inside of a biblical marriage, but forbidden and destructive outside of it. That's the biblical teaching. Our culture says, whatever, whenever, with whomever. And our response has been, we don't even want to talk about all that. Okay? And it's probably, I feel guilty about it. Okay? The biblical teaching is no. Within a biblical marriage, it is encouraged, and outside of it is forbidden, and not because God's a killjoy, but because it's destructive. And so notice, you thought it was R-rated before, wait till I read this scripture. Proverbs 5, 15 and 19, and before you get embarrassed and angry with me, I'm just reading God's word. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Did your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Y'all thinking, well, this doesn't sound very sexual. Every word of it is. It's all sexual metaphor. How do I know that? Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. Guess what the Hebrew word for breast means? Okay, I'll leave it with you. May satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. If that's embarrassing to us, we need to have our mind formed by the word of God. Okay, this is God's gift. And if the church doesn't celebrate that, all we're doing is encouraging people to take it and sully it and trash it in the street. We can't give in to that. And so, notice here, it glories in marital sex. And can I tell you, it's graphic. And if you want to get really embarrassed, I can open up Song of Songs. Okay? Which, by the way, is as erotic as it sounds when you're reading it. That's what it's about. Because that's part of life. And so, the Scripture uh, even graphically celebrates this. The New Testament teaches this in 1 Corinthians 7. Hebrews 13, where Paul actually says as a couple... The expectation is that sexual relationship is part of an ongoing marriage. And, but if you want to take a couple of days to devote yourselves to fasting and prayer, great. Then, then you cannot have sex during that time, but then come back together afterwards. It's just pictured as a normal part of it. Hebrews 13 says the marriage bed is undefiled and pure and holy. It is God's good gift to us should be fully enjoyed when it is sex between a husband and a wife. But the scripture goes on to say, sex outside this context is sinful, it is judged by God, and is destructive to our humanity and our destiny. The very next verses in Proverbs. I'm just going to pick up now and put up on the screen the very next verses. Verse 20, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for his lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. So notice, the biblical thing isn't sex is either good or sex is either evil. It is, it depends on the context. If it is a man and his wife, it is good. If it is outside that context, it is condemned, it is destructive. And notice he specifically says God is watching and God is judging such behavior. Far worse than the thought that God leaves the room while a man and a wife are having sex is the fact that every time there's a sexual act occurring, God is watching and he is judging. And we better live our lives in light of that fact. And so, specifically, he's speaking of adultery here. Notice he says it's destructive, it's enslaving. This is important to our culture, because what is our culture saying right now? Freedom is found in doing whatever I want, whenever I want, as many times I want, with as many people as I want. And God says that's not freedom, that's slavery, is what it is. You are a slave to your own appetites, and there is no freedom found in that. And so... This is speaking specifically of adultery, but fornication, homosexuality, incest, and I could keep adding to the list, everything outside of a man and a woman who are married to one another is condemned throughout Scripture. I gave you Proverbs. I can show you in the law. I can show you in the writings throughout the Old Testament. I can show you in the prophets in the Old Testament. I can show you in the Gospels, including the words are read, that everybody wants to say Jesus didn't address this stuff. He did. Uh, And in the Gospels, I can show it to you in the book of Acts, I can show it to you in the epistles, and I can show it to you in the book of Revelation. However you want to slice the picture into whatever part you want, it is in every part the message is consistent. And in fact, the New Testament teaches that those embracing such sexual sins have no reason to claim that they are believers and inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. The Scripture is really, really clear. And I'll just go ahead and add, in case you hear people talking about this out there, there is nothing new uncovered in the Greek that changes what we've understood for the last 2,000 years. They didn't uncover something that says, oh, that word didn't actually mean that. That's bogus. I've had people try and explain that to me, which is kind of funny, since they can't read a word of Greek if their eternal soul depended on it. And I'm like, I have my quiet time every morning reading Greek. Why are you lecturing me on what the Greek says? But they're left with nothing else because what they want to do is we want to run with our culture. And our culture has abandoned God's ways, has abandoned these limits here. Christianity and individual believers must reject the sexual immorality of our own day, knowing God has something much better for us than the tawdry, fake, shallow sexuality of our own day. Okay? We don't want what they're offering over here. It is fake fake, it is unfulfilling, and in fact, it is destructive to who we are. And that's why God's given the rules. It's not because God's a killjoy. He knows it destroys us as people. But the way we respond to that is not by running to the opposite extreme, but rather going to the Scripture. So how do we apply the word? What does this mean to us? I won't go into if you struggle with believing the miraculous in Scripture, God would challenge you on that by looking at things like the virgin birth. But two questions I want to ask: Do I see that God governs all of life, including my sexuality? See, one of the problems with Gnosticism is one group of Gnostics are very ascetic. They say, "Don't do anything. If it looks like it might even remotely be fun, stay away from it." But the re- and they, the reason is because we're trying to be spiritual and we don't wanna do things with our body. But see, the problem with that philosophy where you've separated spirit and body out is another group comes up and says, you're right. The body and spirit are so separated, it doesn't matter what I do in my body. I'm spiritual and I can do whatever I want with my body. My spirit's not involved in this. That is a double-edged sword. And it's double-edged because it's not the biblical view. God governs all of life. The faith is not restricted to spiritual matters. Make no mistake about this. You live in a culture that is sexually confused. I mean, man, we are talking about it nonstop in the culture, and it's all confusion. We don't understand what the truth is. In fact, today, many people laugh at the biblical teaching on sex, and they laugh to their own destruction. Now, and if they don't escape it, for eternity. God is not mocked. Sin is destructive. It destroys our humanity, and it destroys the image of God. And so I'm not saying this for us to go out and march and get angry at these sexually confused people. I have pity on them, because in the very thing they are doing, they are destroying themselves. It is so sad, and we are so confused. And I want to tell us, one of the reasons it's important, in the text we used this morning, the angel told Joseph, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people, what? From their sins. Now, that certainly includes the penalty of sin. Who in here is grateful that Jesus has lived and died and been raised for us to be forgiven of the penalty of our sins? But I want you to notice, he didn't say he will forgive his people of their sins. That's not what he said. He said he will save us from our sins. There is not only an eternal price to sin, there's a temporal price. And Jesus loves you and I too much to let sin destroy us that way. He has come to save us from our sins. And so as a result of this, we are called, the gospel saves us apart from our works. Am I saved by being sexually pure throughout my life? No. I hate to say, but there will be virgins on that day that will be cast away. There are. We are saved apart from our works. But friend, you and I are saved into good works as well. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 teaches that exact principle. We were saved for good works as well. Not by them, actually apart from them, but we are saved them to walk in them and that includes us walking in sexual purity and that means despite what our culture is telling us you and i are called to abstinence until marriage and then faithfulness after marriage period that's it it is not complex we like to what are the 50 shades of gray there really aren't any on this it's really really clear a man and a woman are to be married No other format is to work, and that man and woman are to abstain until they're married, and then they are to be faithful to one another after that point, period. That's the biblical teaching, and it's really pretty clear. And so I want to urge you, do not embrace the lie of our age, and I want you to recognize I'm going to be talking next week about Christian citizenship, and here's part of it. When you stand up like this, does our culture say, A, I applaud you for your biblical faithfulness, you're a wonderful person, or B, do they do what happened to me and make a meme of you on Facebook and stick it up with phone numbers and tell people what an awful, horrible person you are for things you never said or did? Get ready for it, okay? You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? You're not going to be applauded. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be told how horrible you are. Okey-doke. I can live with that. Because on the final day, the judge is going to stand up and say, everybody else, shut up. Well done. And that is what matters. So do we understand that? And I want to encourage you. And I want to tell you, if you've been sinning in this area, and I don't assume because you come to our church you don't sin in this area, If you've been sinning in this area, you need to repent, you need to confess, and you need to cry out for Christ to be Lord of this area as well. Do not give in to the confusion of this age. It will destroy you. It will destroy your soul. Second question. To the married, here's what we need to do. Do not pendulum swing to the other side. With all that I just said, and and folks it is a huge temptation when we see our culture running off a cliff over here we want to go to the other side it's what we do as humans don't give in to that don't do a pendulum swing sex is god's good gift to us and friends it is good and what is needed in this culture right now is people standing up against the tide of what's being told Look at, the, at the, the cultural narrative right now. According to Hollywood, the best sex ever is two people who just met, and they're on a beach in the sand or something oddball. That's idiotic. That is completely idiotic. It's two people who don't know each other. They don't care for each other. It is completely away from the way God's done. But we've given that field over, and that's the only narrative that's being heard. And it's one of the reasons I am not going to be embarrassed to say, been married 32 years, think my wife is hot, love my wife, and we have a good relationship in every area of life. And I will tell the young people running around sinning and all that, you don't even begin to know what good is. Period, you don't know. You haven't been faithful long enough to have a clue. And we need, y'all go ahead and holler, that's good. You can amen whatever you want. We need people who are gonna do this because all they're hearing is the other side. And if you only hear the lie, you don't even know what the truth is. We need people who will stand up, and if it embarrasses them, let it embarrass them. I gave a picture to my children. I'll embarrass them again here. When they used to go off to youth group or whatever, I would kid them about what their mom and I were going to do while they were gone, and and then she would say, "I guess I know what we're doing." I'm like, "I'm going to watch TV." I just wanted to put it in their head; it'll keep them from sinning while they're out there. But my children knew we were physically affectionate. That is important. that's an injection that comes in and it prevents the disease of our culture getting into their soul. We need to do that. Please hear this. And it's why this is an important issue, and I hope you understand why. This may have sounded crazy. We're going to talk about the Virgin Mary? It is so practical, because if we let that idea leach into our souls, we have given the field over to all this ungodliness and wickedness. And we dare not do that. It is enslaving and destroying people all around you and I. And one of the biggest reasons is because those who are walking biblically are too embarrassed to say anything about it. And we should not be that way. Don't avoid the topic. Don't listen to the voices of guilt and repression that have been there because the church has oftentimes not done a good job of expressing this. We really have not. That's part of why we're in the mess we're in. I'm calling for us to do something other now what we're going to do we're going to stand up and we're going to close with prayer and I want us to be praying again wherever you are at if you are here and you are single I want to encourage you to pray for biblical purity in your singleness if you are married I want you to pray for biblical purity within your own marriage but if you are married I also want us to pray for us to walk in the enjoyment of what God has given us and for us to be God's agent of change in this culture. I said at the beginning of the meeting because everything that went on this past week, we are in a broken world. It's messed up and the hope is the gospel. The hope is God's spirit working in and through us. Let's not sit on the sidelines and that includes in this area. It is sexually confused, we dare not run and hide. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as your people. And Lord, we begin by saying how grateful we are that you made us. And Father, you made us in wisdom. Psalm 104 tells us, in wisdom, you made everything from the largest stars and the biggest galaxies to the smallest cell. You have made it all. And it was all made with wisdom. And at the apex of all of that, God, you made us in your image. And Father, that includes even our bodies, Lord. You made us this way. And Father, when we turned and when we sullied all of that and we destroyed it and our sin has been passed from generation to generation, you did not abandon us. Lord, you came and you rescued us through Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin, living for us, dying for us, being raised for us. This is the gospel. And Father, we are grateful for the gospel. Lord, it is through that you have raised us to life. And Father, as those who have been not only created but redeemed by your hand, we want to be obedient. Father, we recognize one of the major areas of temptation is all the sexual confusion in our culture. God, we have so much sexual license and sin and it seems like sometimes the only thing that is not acceptable is to say how you have truly made us. But God, at the beginning, you made us male and female. You didn't make us omnigender. You didn't make us transgender. You made us male and female and it was good. And Father, in the beginning, you made for a man and a woman to come together And for the two to be one. And Father, that was good. But we have become so confused that men want men and women want women. And we want to change our bodies and we want to do all of this. And Father, I don't get angry at the people. Lord, it's heartbreaking. It's a sign of the depth of our sin. We are so confused. We are given over to a depraved mind. Father, and that's not just others, Father. The temptation leeches and eats away at our own souls. So, Father, we confess, for we have sinned in thought and word and deed. Father, we repent. We confess. We ask that you would cleanse us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone listening right now who is trapped in sexual sin, Father, I pray by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, I pray you would break those chains. I pray you would shatter the prison in which they dwell. And I pray that your children would walk in holiness and they would walk in freedom of the sons and daughters of God. Father, I pray for us as the church that we would stop being so shy about what you've made us to be. Lord, I pray we would be good Christians and not Gnostics, that we would believe your word, that we would cling to your word, and we would not veer to the left or the right. We would not deny what your word has spoken, and we would not add to where your word has not spoken. But, Father, we would believe your word, we would cling to your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit as we meditate upon your word day and night, that it would form and it would fashion us that we might be blessed and prosperous and successful because we'd be being formed into the image of Christ. Father, would you send your Holy Spirit and do that and would you use us in this sin-soaked, broken culture in which we live Father, would you work in and through us to point people to Jesus Christ? And Lord, I pray this week, maybe we're going to run into somebody, Father, who has trod down that path and they are so far down and their life is a mess and it's shattered. Father, we do not speak as holier than thou. We are are not the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, Lord. We We have eaten in our own pig trough. But God, I pray you would let us speak the word of the gospel to them. I pray we could speak to them and say, God has something better for you, and it's found in Jesus. Father, would you open doors for us to do that from here to Cambodia to all corners of the earth. Lord, I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Go in the peace and power of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.